Amen. Thank you. What a great way to continue to prepare our hearts for worshiping the Lord as we, we turn to uh, His Word. And I encourage you to turn to Second John. We're in, in Second John this morning, uh, second week there in Second John, looking at verses 4 through 6. Uh, also, just encourage you to be preparing your hearts this morning for communion. We're going to be taking the Lord's Supper together at the end of our, our morning together. And, and well, uh, Second John, uh, Second John, we're looking at verses 4 through 6, and if you are able, if you'd stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together. Second John, uh, verses 4 through 6, and this is what John writes. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as you were, we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. You may be seated. May God encourage us uh, through his word this morning. Uh, let me pray for us as we continue to worship him. Father, as, as we've uh, prayed already this morning, uh, we do pray for those hearts who are, with, who are together here, for hearts that are hurting, for encouragement, hearts that are uh, rebellious, for your gracious uh, turning to you, for hearts that are just uh, seeking you, for you to fulfill them, for hearts that are sad to be lifted up. We, we don't know where everyone is this morning, where we Sometimes maybe we don't even know where we are ourselves, and so we turn to you who knows all things, can do all things, allowing, asking you to allow us to find our complete joy and satisfaction in you. We know that your word contains the message of how we can do that, and so we pray that our hearts would, would be soft, that we'd understand these things, and that we'd apply them, we'd grow in love and truth. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name, amen. The Goldilocks paradox refers to a, a situation in which things need to be just right, not one extreme or the other. And we encounter the Goldilocks paradox in, in all sorts of situations in life. So, for example, astronomers might refer to a Goldilocks planet. And a Goldilocks planet is one that's not too close to its sun so that it'd be too hot and not able to support life, or too far away from its sun and be too cold and unable to support life because it'd be too cold. A Goldilocks economy is one where there's employment that's not too low and not enough people having jobs, or employment too high, causing inflation and people, the, the economy not to grow. And so it has to be just right, Goldilocks, just right, not one extreme or the other. And again, we encounter the Goldilocks paradox in all sorts of circumstances in life. A few weeks ago, I was uh, talking with one of our, our staff members, and I'll, I'll keep his identity uh, you know, secret for his sake. I, I was talking to him, and we were talking about how he leads worship, and um, <laughs> I, I found out that uh, he and his wife can't drive a, uh, a stick. They can't drive a, a manual, and I said, well, this, this is a, a, a huge deal. Um, who knows when you'll be in a ministry situation where you'll be like, quick, to the car, and you won't be able to drive it because it's a stick, and uh, I, I said, well, let me, let me help you. And so I, I took, uh, took him and his, his wife out, and, and we were uh, 
showing them how to drive a stick. And I forgot just how delicate that balance is, right? You have to kind of just, just let up on the clutch and, and just press down on the gas. Not, not too much clutch, not too little, not too much gas, not too little. Or, or the car, and I, I was reminded how much a car can shake uh, whenever that's not just right. And, you know, just kind of back and forth and back and forth. In the shirt. But no, they, they did great. Um, it was wonderful. No, they really did. They, they're fine. But I, I, I'd forgotten just how that balance is just right. And I was also thinking about this. When you're teaching someone how to drive a stick, it's not just the, that balance that needs to be right, but your balance in instructing them has to be right. You have to kind of balance between truth and love, right? You don't want to just be so loving you never say, hey, the car's about to die again. But you don't want to be so truthful that there's no encouragement. And, and yeah, you've, got some, you've taught something too, but they hate you now. I mean, it's, it's a delicate balance, truth and love. And it's, it's true in so many areas of our lives. And it, it's so true in the church. That delicate balance between, between truth and love. In fact, I would argue it's one of the most difficult balances to get right in a church. Truth and love. And I've shared with you a little bit about some of my church history. Just to kind of remind you, when I was in college, I, I visited many churches trying to find a good church. And some churches that I would visit seemed to be really big on truth. You know, say, we're going to teach doctrine and we're going to teach theology. And they would, they would teach those things and they'd be very passionate about the truth. And yet, as you looked at the relationships that existed in the church, they seemed very cold. In, in fact, Sometimes I would describe some of the relationships as, as fearful, like someone was afraid that if they stepped out of line, they'd, they'd lose relationship, and people would look down on them, and there'd be a lack of, of, of fellowship that existed if they, they didn't do the exact right things or say the exact right things. And so I realized, boy, that's just not an environment I think is going to be healthy for me in my, my spiritual development. And so I'd visit other churches, and some churches I visited seemed to be really big on love. And the relationships I looked at in these churches seemed to be marked by, by closeness, by acceptance, by, by peace, and, and those sorts of things. But as I looked closer, I realized there seemed to be a lack of, of truth in that church and lack of truth in some of those relationships. And just kind of really um, an appalling desire even for holiness. And it, I knew that wasn't a good environment for me either. And, and really, as I matured, I realized that these churches that I thought were really big on truth but low on love really were big on neither. Because a, a tr- church that's truly passionate about truth is going to manifest that truth in love, right? And these churches that I thought were big on love but low on truth were also actually low on both. <laughs> because a church that is truly passionate about love is going to manifest a love for the truth as well. It's such a hard balance, but it's absolutely necessary in a healthy church for both truth and love to exist. In, I believe it was early 2000, someone in the church that Whitney and I were at realized that we were struggling. It was tough ministry, and so they, they gave us two vouchers to fly anywhere in the continental U.S. that Southwest Airlines flew. And, and we said, what, what destination would be the most exotic location that we could go to? And we thought, Peoria, Illinois. So we, we flew into Chicago. We, we knew we needed to see Rich Burkle, my old, my old youth pastor. And so we flew to Chicago, and then 
then drove down to uh, Peoria, May of 2000, and, and uh, Rich had talked to me about, about coming there to the church. We said, no, well, we'll talk to some people, but we, Friday night arrived there, and, and Saturday met with some people in the church, and, and uh, that evening, as we talked, after we had talked to people and, and, and saw for the, one of the first times just this incredible, incredible balance between truth and love, kind of laid in bed that night, 24 hours after arriving there, and, and said, um, boy, if this, if this place will have us, we're coming. We need this. We spent the next three months convincing Bethany Baptist Church to take us, you know. <laughs> it was close. <laughs> we need that. You need that. You need a balance of truth and love to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you believe that you have a responsibility to encourage one another? Let me just read you a couple of verses from Hebrews. Hebrews 3.13, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You have a daily responsibility to encourage your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10.25, Don't neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In other words, every single one of us in this room have an obligation to encourage one another. We see one another at some, some point in our spiritual journey. All of us are, are here at, at this, this moment in time, and this is where we are spiritually. This is where we are in terms of maturity in Christ. And God wants us to be somewhere else, somewhere further. And we all have a responsibility to say, okay, we're here, and by God's grace, we need to be here. We need to, we need to grow And there's a daily responsibility upon us to help each other say, okay, we're here, now let's get here. Let's let's grow in God's grace. Let's grow in Christ's likeness. Let's grow in love. And you and I, God has said, the way that you and I are going to get from here to here is through encouraging one another. We need one another to come along and say, hey, you're here, let's get here. Together. And not only has God ordained that movement, okay, we're here, we need to be here. Not only is he ordained that, he's ordained the means by which we get from here to here. We're not to encourage one another with harshness, but there's to be a spirit of gentleness. Listen to what else we read in Scripture. Galatians 6, Paul says, look, if anyone's in sin, those of you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of, of, of gentleness. Second Timothy 2 says, the Lord's servant can't be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone. And then verse 25, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 2, as he describes his ministry to the Thessalonians in verse 7 of Second Thessalonians, uh, of First uh, Thessalonians 2, verse 7, Paul says, we were gentle among you like a nursing mother who cares for her child. We, we were gentle. So God has called us to help each other get from here to here, and he's called us to do it with, with gentleness. That's what we see John doing here in Second John, verses 4 through 6. He sees a group of believers who are, are here, and he understands that they need to be here, and 
we're going to see as, as he comes alongside them and encourages them, we're going to, to see the way that he does that. Now, the main thing that I want you to grasp as we look at these verses, what I want you to grasp is that our encouragement to grow in love must be done in love. My encouragement to you to get you from, from here to here to grow in love must be done in love. If I do not encourage you with love, I've undermined the very thing that I'm trying to accomplish in your life. If my encouragement to you is harsh, if it's, if it's judgmental, if it, if it lacks grace, if it's all about the, the truth, I've denied the truth because the truth is that I'm supposed to love you. What I want you to see about what John does here is that John's encouragement to grow in love is done in love. And God has placed you this morning in relationships. God has called you in the relationships you're in to be encouraging one another to grow in love. Some of you are in a marriage relationship. And you're in this marriage relationship, and uh, you know better than anyone else in this room that your spouse is here, and really, she should probably be here. But you don't want to tell her that. And your spouse knows better than anyone else that you're here, and you need to be here, but she's not sure how to tell you that. Some of you are in a family relationship, and you have a brother or a sister, and you know that he or she is here, and needs to be, but you're not sure, okay, how do I do that? Some of you, you're, you're in our, our, our singles ministry, and you're in these, these relationships, and okay, we, we want to have fun, and we want to be in relationship to one another, but I, I know that I have a brother or sister in Christ who's struggling in this area. How do I help them go from here to here without being judgmental, without being harsh? How do I do that? How do I help people get from here to here with love? That's what we're going to see John talking about this morning. And as I, I read these verses, verses 4 through 6, I see John covering so much of what we saw him cover in 1 John. Truth, obedience, love. And what strikes me as I read these verses is how he encourages people to grow in love. And what I want us to do together is I want us to look at three ways, three ways we can encourage one another to grow in love with love, okay? Three ways we can encourage each other to grow in love with love. Here's the first thing we can do. The first thing we can do is celebrate obedience to God's word. Look at what John says in verse 4. John says, I, I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. Okay, the, the first thing I want you to notice about what's happening in verse 4 is what John has discovered. John has discovered that some of these believers are walking in the truth. And that doesn't mean that some of the believers weren't necessarily. But what's happened here is he's writing to this church. And he's somehow encountered some of the people who are in this church. And as he encounters some of the representatives from this church, he finds that these people are passionate about the truth. In fact, they're not just passionate about the truth in an abstract way. They're passionate about living according to the truth. He uses the word walk. He's going to use that word several times in these three verses. He says, I, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. That's right now, presently, they're, they're knowing the truth and they're living in it. And in fact, uh, if you want to, uh, turn back to the book of Ephesians. It's been uh, several years since we were in the book of Ephesians. But this is the, uh, the book that we looked at as we 
This is the first book we went through together as, as a church. And if you remember, the first three chapters of Ephesians are all about the call of the church, how we get called into this relationship with God. And then chapters 4, 5, and 6 are very practical. Okay, you're in a relationship with God. You're part of this community of faith. Now, how do we walk? How do we live? And listen to some of the things we see Paul say in the book of Ephesians about walking. Verse 1 of Ephesians 4, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Verse 17, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. He says they're darkened in their understanding and talks about how they're living. He says don't walk that way. And then he says this in verse 2 of chapter 5, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Verse 8 of Ephesians 5, walk as children of light. Verse 15 of chapter 5, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as, as wise. And so what Paul means when he says walk is, is live. This is how you, you live. You're kind of walking, you're living your life. And so what John means here in John, 2 John 4 is, look, um, I rejoice greatly to find some of you walking in the truth. And what he means is I didn't just find some of you intellectually understanding the truth. I found some of you knowing the truth and living your life in accordance with the truth. Here's the truth, and you're, you're walking in it, you're living in it, and he says, that, that's what I found. That, that's the first thing that I want you to notice here. He found people walking in obedience to the truth just like God had commanded them to do. Now, the second thing I want you to see there in verse 4 is how he responds to what he found. What does it say? It begins verse 4. It says, I, I rejoiced greatly. Do you remember what we saw in, in 1 John, what, what's going on with John? He's had a tough time. Some of the, the people that he loves there in Asia Minor who are part of these churches have, have fallen away from the faith. Uh, false teachers have, have come in and, and, and they've taught some things about who Jesus Christ is and People have believed some lies about Jesus and, and they've, they've left the church. An incredibly discouraging thing for John. That's not what he finds in this church. In this church, somehow he, he gets to know some of the people, some of the, the children, the believers who are part of this church, and they, they come and, and he spends time with them and he finds that, that these guys aren't being swayed by these false teachings about Jesus. They've, they've found the truth and they walk in it. They live in accordance with who Jesus is. And he sees that and goes, man, I'm pumped about that. I am super excited to find this. I rejoice greatly to find that some of your children were walking in the truth. Now, here is what I want you to grasp as we look at this, this first principle for encouraging growth in Christ likeness, growth in love with love. The first thing that I want you to see is we begin by celebrating obedience to God's word. John, in verses 5 and 6, is going to say, hey, uh, guys, here's how you need to grow in love. But notice John doesn't begin with that. See, here's where the believers are. Here's where they need to be. But catch this. They've also been here. You see that? They were here, and now they're here. Yeah, they need to be here. But, but John is going to begin by saying, hey, I am excited about this. I'm excited about the growth. 
I see you have been obedient, obedient to God's instruction, and we're going to celebrate that. I struggle with that. If, if you have much of a relationship with me at all, uh, you can testify to that. In fact, just, uh, just a few weeks ago, some, some people who love me had to come alongside me and say, Hey, uh, Daniel, um, this is an area that you have oversight of, and there are some people that you're hurting in this area. And the reason you're hurting them is because you're being extremely negative. You're, you're, you're you know, multiple occasions you've come and you've said, Okay, here are the eight ways we need to improve. And very little, very little celebration. Now, how do I respond to that? I said, well, I need to tell you three things that are wrong about what you just said to me. No, No, I didn't say that. I said, man, you're right. And, you know, the closer a person is to me, the the more more, uh, they're affected by this. It's not just a personality quirk. It's, It's sinful. Okay? Maybe you struggle with this as well. Now, let me, let me give you some thoughts as to why it's sinful, but lest, lest I go into irony by starting on the negative here, let me, let me just say this, too. Uh, you are a church that loves the truth, and I rejoice in that. There are very few pastors who could uh, preach like I'm able to preach, and the reason I can do that is, is because you love the truth. I rejoice in that greatly. Now, for the negative side of this, and I'm speaking to myself, here's why it's sinful to not celebrate. Here's why it's sinful to not celebrate obedience to God's word. Number one, it's sinful to not celebrate obedience to God's word because it's, it's lying. It's communicating a lie. What do I mean? Let's say that you have a, a friend, and, and this friend has begun to, to read their Bible regularly. And you know that, and you see that. And as you're talking to this friend about their Bible reading, they, they mention some things they found in God's Word about, about giving. And they say, you know what, I just have never been a giver. I, I don't know what that looks like. And I've, I've never been a person to, 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 to give regularly to, to anything, and certainly not sacrificially. And your response is to exhort them to start giving better without celebrating the fact that they've been in God's Word. And growing. What is that doing? That's communicating something about their spiritual life that is a lie. Because all you're doing is focusing on where they need to grow without also celebrating where they've come. And if you aren't celebrating where they really are, you are communicating a lie to them about about their spiritual health. And a person can be under the illusion that, man, I don't even know if I'm a believer. I don't know if I'm struggling. Hey, you know, God... Hey, here's obedience to God's word. You're in a good place. You need to grow, but this is good. You've come from here to here. If we don't celebrate obedience to God's word, we're, we're, we're sinful because we're lying. I also think it's sinful. I also believe it's sinful because it diminishes God's glory, right? If I have a brother or sister in Jesus Christ who's been obedient to God's word and I don't celebrate it, I'm not allowing God to receive the glory that he's due for what he's done in their life. I mean, I have a friend who's, who struggled with anger, and 
And God has done some amazing things in that friend's life as, as he's, he's submitted to God's will and confessed it and, and repented and, and, and that, that growth has occurred. And then he kind of slips up and there's another time of anger. And if, if I just focus on that instead of celebrating his obedience to God's word, I failed to give God the glory that he's due for the things that he's done in my friend's life. And that is what? It's sinful. It's also sinful, I think, to fail to celebrate obedience to God's word because it's unloving. It's unloving. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7 says, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And if I have a a friend in Christ and I'm not celebrating what God's doing and it's a very negative view of their spiritual life. It's very unloving. It says, I don't believe that God can do great things in you. I haven't seen him do great things in you. I don't believe that he'll continue to do great things in you. Final reason I think it's unloving to fail to celebrate obedience to God's word is because it's not how God has dealt with me. It's not how God deals with us. I rejoice that God doesn't just say, hey, Daniel, this is, this is your failure. Here's where you need to be and here's where you are. But, but that God says, hey, by my grace, this is where you've grown. The means by which God grows me, it's a very gracious way. And for me, for me to fail to celebrate obedience to God's word in your life, for you to fail to celebrate obedience to God's word in each other's lives or my life, is sinful because it's, it's not how God has dealt with us. It's judgmental. It's harsh. So as a community of faith, let's celebrate God's continuing good work in our lives, the lives of, of others. Now, that doesn't mean, as we celebrate what God has done, that doesn't mean we just rest, rest there and say, well, God, look at what God has done. Yay. Second thing we see is this. Not only do we celebrate obedience to God's word, but number two, verse five, we encourage obedience to God's word. We encourage obedience to God's word. Here's what John continues to write. He says, and now, so in other words, based on what I've I've just said, okay, you're walking in the truth, I'm, I'm rejoicing in that, or not just rejoicing a little bit, rejoicing greatly, and now... And now I ask you, dear lady, in fact, by the way, as I read this, I want you to tell me, not out loud, in fact, don't tell me, think it, I want you to ask yourself, what one word might describe John's tone as he gives this encouragement? So, and now, based on what I've just told you, I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one that we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. So I ask you, dear lady, not me, but, but God, I've had this commandment from the beginning that, that you and I, that we all love each other. It's a word I've, I've used earlier, but you know what word I would use to describe John's tone here as he gives this instruction? I use the word gentle. I'm struck by how gentle this request is. We've talked about gentleness already, but let me remind you of some scripture that talks about gentleness. I mentioned Ephesians 4.1 where it talks about walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. 
um, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And then verse 2 says, with all humility and gentleness. And then listen to Deuteronomy 32, verses 1 through 3. This is Deuteronomy 32, verses 1 through 3. And this is how I pray that my instruction comes off as I preach, or my instruction comes off as, as a dad, or my instruction comes off as a, a friend. Listen to, listen to what we read in Deuteronomy 32. This is verse 1 through verse 3. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. And let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass, and like showers upon the herb. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. And how beautiful is that? I'd love for you to go up to my kids. Not, not really. Just This would be nice theoretically. To go up to my kids and say, how would you describe your dad's instruction? Oh, it's like, it's like gentle rain on, on us. The, the, the tender grass. <laughs> gentle rain is the instruction of my father, would say my child. Again, that's theoretical. Wouldn't that be great? Or, you know, your, your, your friend. How would you describe... So-and-so's encouragement to you. Oh, man, that guy, he's like gentle rain on me, the tender grass. Ascribing greatness to God. How does John do it? Let let me show you three ways that that we see him gently encouraging others to be obedient to God that I think we can emulate. Now, the first thing we see about how he encourages, so he, he understands you're here, you need to be here. Now listen to how he gently encourages, okay, here's God's word, and, and here's how he gently encourages obedience. N- number one, he, when possible, we request, not demand, right? When it's possible, we, we request, not demand. He says, I, I ask you, dear lady. Now, it's not always wrong to demand. Sometimes as a parent, you might say, okay, this is, boom, this is, this is how it's going to be. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians, is dealing with a rebellious church. He says, look, what do you want? Shall I come, with you, shall I come to you with a rod or with, a, with love and a spirit of gentleness? And obviously Paul's saying, I'd like to come in gentleness, but if, if you're going to reject God's authority, I'm going to have to come a little more boldly. Same church, he says in 2 Corinthians 10, Look, I, I entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I'm, I'm humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I'm away. I beg of you that when I'm present, I may not have to show boldness. Okay? I don't want to do that. I want to be gentle. So sometimes you have to be bold, but, but the default, the, the desire is when it's possible, it, it's good to request, not demand. And what, we, what happens here is a person who's, who's encouraging a person from, from here to here for to growth, we recognize that our, our authority in another person's life is, is very limited, right? I mean, a, a parent has a large deal of authority over the life of a young child, but really besides that, most of us, as we speak into each other's life, I think many of us miss this, but really our, our level of authority is, is pretty low, 
there's appropriate and inappropriate ways to exercise that authority. And so to come to someone and say, I'm demanding that you do, if you must do this, it's, it seems very, very troubling to me. What John has here, I think, is, is confidence of obedience. He said, I've, I've celebrated how you've walked in the truth, and so I know that you believe in the authority of God and his word, and so there's, there's a confidence that they're going to walk in, in love now. So he requests, he doesn't demand, and we should as well when possible. Secondly, this is crucial too, we base our encouragement upon God's word and not our own preferences or perceived authority. John could have come at these people and said, look, uh, I am the Apostle John. I walked with the Lord. I saw things that you couldn't even dream of seeing. And now this is how it's going to be. Based upon my own authority. But John, look at this. There's, there's no indication that he's asking them to do anything based upon his own preferences. He says, look, even as an apostle, he refers to himself as a pastor. And he says, um, look, I, I'm, I'm telling you to do this not on some new commandment, like, hey, I had this new idea. I was, I was thinking about it. I thought, you know what would be really cool if people loved each other? So I want you guys to love each other. No, he says, my encouragement is, is not some new commandment. It's based upon the authority of God's word, and that's, this is what you, I want you to do. It's not a new commandment. I, I want you to do what God has already told you to do. I want you to love one another. And remember, we saw this in 1 John 2, where John wrote, Beloved, I'm not writing you a new commandment, but an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you've heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. And this new commandment to love each other, he says, it's not new in the sense that I'm suddenly coming up with it. This is a commandment that God has always had for his people. And as the gospel is proclaimed, we saw it proclaimed. So it's an old commandment that, that Jesus gave us. But it's, it's new in the sense that we have this new ability to obey it. It's true in, in him and in you. You have this relationship. You're in Christ and you can be obedient to it. So John, as he gently encourages here, we see this encouragement as gentle because of the way that he asks, not demands, because he doesn't need to. We see the, the gentleness in his instruction because it's, it's given as, as God, under God's authority, not his own. In fact, by the way, if you're going to try to encourage a person to do something and you can't think of any biblical justification for what you're encouraging them to do, that should be a real warning sign. <laughs> if you're a parent and you're going to instruct your children, you don't just come along and say, stop yelling, stop fighting, stop doing it. Okay, here's what, here's what God's Word says for us to do. And if you can't think of why God's word wants them to do it, that's a problem. So we, we're gentle, we base our encouragement on God's word, not, not personal authority. But then the third thing we see about John's instruction here and, and how it's gentle, his encouragement here, it's, it's gentle because he, like us, places himself under the same authority that he's encouraging others to obey, right? If we're going to encourage with gentleness, we have to place ourselves under the same authority that we're encouraging others to place himself under. Let's look what he says. He says, in fact, 
if you go back into verse 4, it says we were commanded by the Father. But here in verse 5, he says this commandment that we have had from the beginning, and he says that we love one another. He doesn't come, hey, this is the Apostle John, and, and all you guys need to love each other. He says, no, we need to do this. This is something that I have a responsibility to be obedient in as well. We place ourselves under the same authority as those we encourage others to place themselves under. You know, when I was uh, one of the college, one of the churches that I was a member of had had many people come out of this this movement that was a very, uh, very dangerous movement and very authoritarian structure. They would, the people in this church would would have to to come almost every evening. They'd, they'd come, and they'd come and sit down in these assigned seats or something, and they'd watch a video and they'd have to take notes and a notebook and they were told to leave their notebooks and their Bible underneath their chair and then go home and then come back. Just incredibly authoritarian, draconian, not a pleasant place to be. Understand, the desire to control someone else's life does not come from God. Our desire to encourage someone else to grow, to go from here to here, is not, hey, I want you to become more like me. I want you to think about life the same way that I do. I want you to have the same preferences that I do in debatable matters. That's not what encouragement to, and obedience to God's word looks like. Encouraging to be obedient to God's word is about, hey, here's how we all go from here to here by being submissive to Jesus Christ. And it's done in a spirit of gentleness. Here's the last thing. I want you to see, not only do we celebrate obedience to God's word and encourage obedience to God's word, we have to explain obedience to God's word. I love verse 6. John understands that just saying, hey, I want you guys to love each other, (laughs) could lead to some misunderstanding. So he says, verse 6, this is what I mean. This is love. This is what I, what I mean by love, that we walk according to his commandments. And notice that's plural. And he says, this is the commandment, just as you've heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. And commandment there is, is singular. So uh, what I think he's saying here is, okay, there's this overarching command to, to love each other. And now to do that, you obey the commandments, the specific applications of that commandment. You, you Think about the Ten Commandments and how the last commandments deal with our relationships with one another. We, we don't lie. We don't steal. We don't covet. We treat one another rightly. We love each other. The, there's this overarching command. We obey all the commandments that apply that overarching command to love each other. Jesus in John 15 would say, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And so he's describing there, okay, here's this overarching command to love me and to love each other. And if you're going to obey that command, you're going to obey these other commandments and, and how you should relate to each other. It's not enough just to say, hey, go obey God's word. You have to explain what that means. I got an email from someone yesterday morning. And the email uh, said um, something like, 
Daniel, can you please do this? I want to make sure that you're oiling correctly and make sure you get the right dirt address. And so and so, and then I saw underneath it said, sent from my iPhone. It's like, that's why this instruction makes no sense. I replied, I said, look, I don't know what it means to oil correctly and what a dirt address is, but I'd like to do what you're asking me to do. Can you please explain what you mean? And they said, yes. And they explained, I don't know what I was typing or what I was on, but this is what I meant to say. And then I oiled correctly. It's not enough to say, hey, love each other. You have to explain what you mean. And, and here's just a couple things real quick about this explanation. First of all, John explains God's word because here's what God's word says and here's what God's word means. And so he explains God's word. He explains walking obedience. And so as you, you come to a person and say, this is what I'm, what I'm encouraging you to do. It doesn't just mean doing this one thing. It means walking. It means living this way. He uses that word walk twice in verse 6. And then he explains, and this I think is crucial, he explains the, the, the fullness of obedience. The fullness of obedience is not found in just doing some things. It's, it's found in this overarching command to, to love Jesus Christ. You see, the, the people that we are encountering in life, and the people that we're encouraging, our goal isn't just to get them to obey a bunch of, of rules. What we're really encouraging people to do is grow in love for Christ. We're talking about the gospel here, the good news that you and I cannot be obedient on our own, but need to place our faith in Jesus Christ, who was perfectly obedient, and it gives us the ability to grow in obedience. You see, apart from the gospel, we have no hope of growth. And so what we do here, I believe, is we encourage people to, to grow in love, with love. We say, this, okay, uh, here's, here's, where you, here's where you were, and we're celebrating what God has done in your life through the gospel. We're celebrating obedience, obedience that is impossible apart from the gospel. And now, here's where we are, and here's where God wants us to be. Let's encourage greater obedience. And now, as we explain what obedience is, we find out that obedience isn't ultimately just about doing things. Obedience is about this relationship with Jesus Christ, a relationship that we have through faith. And so as we encourage one another and explain obedience, what we're explaining is the gospel. The good news that you and I cannot do this on our own, but because of Jesus Christ, the truth, the love, we have the ability to to grow in obedience to God. That's what we're called to do. That's how we're called to encourage one another. And here's, here's the kicker, another kicker. <laughs> if what we're saying is, here's where we are and here's where we want to be, and we, and, and we can't get from here to here on our own, we, we have to get from here to here through the gospel, through Jesus Christ. That's, that's explaining obedience. If that's, if that's how we get from here to here through the gospel, through no merit on our own, how in the world could we fail to present that truth in a harsh, unloving way? If it's true that the people I love can't get from here to here apart from the gospel, then it's true that I can't get from here to here apart from the gospel. The only way that I can get from here where I am right now to where I need to be is the same way I got from where I was completely lost from God to here, and that's through the gospel, through placing my faith in Jesus Christ. Growth in God is also going to occur through the gospel, through faith in Christ, as he enables me to grow in obedience. How can that message be communicated in a harsh way? To communicate in a harsh way undermines the very truth of the message that I'm proclaiming. 
that it's only through faith in Jesus, through a gracious God, that I have hope of not being damned for eternity. It's only through a gracious God, through a gracious God, through my faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, that I have hope of growing in obedience, growing in love. I've accepted the truth and now I grow in love through the work of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the gospel, that's the beauty of the message that that John is proclaiming here. How do, I, how do we help each other? How do I help my spouse? How do I help my coworker? How do I help my, my single friend? How do I help my, my children? How do my children help me? They celebrate what God has done through the gospel. They encourage greater gospel obedience, and they explain what gospel obedience looks like through faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite the, the men who are passing out the elements to begin to, to make their way to the to the sides here and as they uh, pass out the elements we have time to pray here let me just encourage you uh, to pray that god would show you how you can encourage those people that god has placed in relationship with how you can encourage them to, to greater growth and godliness how by the the grace of god he can help us be a community that is passionate about both truth and love about truth Growing in holiness, but love, growing in holiness in a gentle, non-judgmental, gracious way that reflects the truth of the gospel. Let me pray. Father, as we prepare to partake of, of your supper, we ask that you would help us to repent of sin. We pray that you would help us, as we repent of sin, to, to trust in your son, Jesus. We pray that we trust in him to help us grow. We pray this in his name. Amen.